0: That's Luke 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.
1: Imagine a friend offers to come and help you with some jobs at home, fixing things up. I guess many of us would be grateful for such an offer because the garden's a bit of a mess. You've got that flat pack that you need to put up and it's always easier with another pair of hands. If you're feeling ambitious, there's that shelf you might fit. And again, a bit of help. All those little jobs. But when your friend arrives, they've brought with them rather more equipment than you were expecting. So they have a toolkit, fair enough, but they also have a sledgehammer and a, a wrecking bar and as they come in, they say, by the way, the uh, skip will be, ar- be arriving later. We'll, we'll need that. And I've parked the JCB around the corner. And all of a sudden, it becomes clear to you that your friend has in mind rather more help than you were expecting. And possibly rather more help than you were actually wanting. Well, as a half-term break from Genesis, we're looking at a section of Luke's gospel that is all about following Jesus. And what we'll find as we look at this section is that when a person starts to follow the Lord Jesus and he begins to change them in their lives, the kind of change he brings isn't just small things tinkering around the edges. It's really big. It's deep as he he brings in the wrecking bar, the JCB, and goes beneath the surface into our hearts, affecting not just what we do, how we live, how we look, but how we think and how we feel. Luke 9 51 in the structure of this gospel is a turning point as Jesus sets his face to go up to Jerusalem He's heading for the cross and from that point the theme of the gospel is following Jesus So straight after he, he sets out the issue there is follow me follow me follow me And as he teaches his disciples along the road what we have are a string of episodes Lessons that people who will follow Jesus need to learn So Jesus talks to them about prayer and evangelism and the kind of love that jesus wants his followers to show if you're looking for something to read in your quiet times in the morning if you're a christian there's a great section of these little episodes that teach us lessons about what it means to follow jesus or if you're not yet a follower of the lord jesus again this is a great section because it shows the kind of change that jesus would bring in your life if you were to put your trust in him And what we get to in chapter 12 is the subject of emotions. It's about our hearts. And in particular, he addresses the three emotions of fear, greed, and worry. Because like I said, the change that Jesus brings in the life of those who follow him is not just on the surface. It's not just cosmetic. It gets right down into the heart, all the way deep down. If you glance at the second half of chapter 11, just before chapter 12, you'll see... Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And these are people who look great on the outside. These are respectable people. You would look at them and think, yeah, these guys have got it sorted between them and God. But Jesus says, no. Because it's not what's on the outside. It's not looking good on the outside that matters. What matters is the inside. And then he goes into chapter 12 and teaches us about these three emotions and it's going to be great for us this morning looking at what Jesus says here because in our different ways we all know fear and we all know greed and we all know worry and even if you know even if we would express those things in different ways even if it would only be seldom that we kind of bring these things out and examine them in the light of day let alone talk to anyone else about them nevertheless they're there aren't they under the surface, shaping us from the inside out. That's what Jesus um, teaches us about here. Following him means a transformation at the heart level. Now, we haven't got time for any fear this morning. We've only got time for greed and worry. But just um, so we understand what's been said, and also so so we can see what what I have found is the surprise in this passage, please could you have a look at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 there, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, I wonder if you are surprised by what I was surprised by, that as Jesus looks at these emotions, fear, greed, and worry, he isn't saying you shouldn't be afraid, you shouldn't be greedy, you shouldn't worry. He doesn't say, if you feel that, just suppress that, just get rid of that. That would be bad advice. It wouldn't be possible for us as humans. It's not what he says. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. He, he talks first about the wrong kind of fear. Who don't fear the other people around you. That's what the Pharisees lived like. They, they feared what other people thought of them, and it led to them putting up a front led to hypocrisy. So that's the wrong kind of fear, and by all means, get rid of that. But then, verse 5, there is a right kind of fear. Fear God. Fear his verdict on your life. And as you fear him, that will lead to integrity. So it's not that he's saying to get rid of these emotions. Rather, he replaces them. The wrong kind of greed is gone. The right kind of greed. The wrong kind of worry is gone. The right kind of worry is gone. Um, is brought in in its place. This is Jesus. He turns up with a paintbrush and a hammer, and he's here to help us. He's here to make changes in the lives of his followers at the deepest possible level. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look through these verses in two halves and see, first of all, the right kind of greed, and then secondly, the right kind of worry. We'll look at it in turn like that, but first, join with me. Let's, um, Let's pray as we... As we begin, let's ask for God's help. Father, we ask that you would show us now more of what it means or what it would mean for us to follow Jesus, not just on the outside, but on the inside with our minds and hearts. We pray that you would help us all to be honest about the greed and the worry that we feel, and we ask that you would replace those things with something more constructive. As we turn our lives to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, starting off then, the first bit, verses um, 13 onwards. The right kind of greed. Seek the riches of God. The issue is raised in verse 13 by a man who comes to Jesus asking him to settle an argument over an inheritance As somebody has said, where there's a will, there's a crowd. And um, and Jesus spells out his principle in verse 15. He said to them, um, be on your guard against all covetousness, which means greed. It's not having things, it's longing for them, wanting them, setting your heart on them. Be on your guard against that, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. That's the essence of greed, is finding, seeking satisfaction in the acquisition, accumulation, and possession of things. So for some of us, it might be, I want more and more and better clothes or electronics, or I want a bigger house, a newer car. For others of us, it's not so much the things that money can buy, but having the money itself in the bank there for us. And Jesus says that is the wrong kind of greed. And then he tells a story to show us why it's the wrong kind of greed and to help us feel why it's the wrong kind of greed. His basic point is that that kind of attitude, setting your hearts on things that you can have in this life, it's not so much that it's wrong, it's that it's foolish. When you think about life as it really is, it doesn't actually make sense. Let's look at the story. It starts in verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. For um, us, in our terms, this is the guy, he, he gets the top job after leaving uni. He starts a company that flies, and he's making more and more money all the time. And in his 50s, he's rich enough, he can retire, he can do what he likes. He will want for nothing. And maybe as as we think about that guy, we think, wow, fantastic. But God says to him, verse 12, sorry, verse 20, you fool. God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? All of a sudden, this man's life is demanded of him. He will die. And all that wealth that he's built up, it counts for nothing. Jesus says that greed for the things of this world, storing it up, we pile up more and more stuff, but it's foolish. Because it doesn't last, and it doesn't really matter in the end when we grow old and frail, or when something unexpected happens, like in Jesus' story, I think then, then we'll know, won't we? Then we'll feel that what really matters in life is not the things we have. All over the world, people who are rich and poor live lives that are fulfilled and unfulfilled. And what makes the difference is not the amount of money that they have. And all over the world, people who are rich and poor face the end of life, face death with great peace or great unrest. And again, what makes the difference is not the amount of money that they have. And also as we think about the life that lies beyond death, Shakespeare called that realm the undiscovered country from whose bounds no traveler returns. You can imagine being, uh, being shipwrecked somewhere that you've never been before, and it's completely separated from where you're from. And at home, you could be a wealthy person, but in that undiscovered country, it counts for nothing. So this is the wrong kind of greed. And Jesus is saying, beware, don't be foolish. But, as I said, he's not throwing greed out the window. He's not saying, stop being greedy, full stop. Because there is a right kind of greed. If you look again at verse 20, you can see that he says there is something that is worth pursuing and storing up and even being greedy for. Let me read those verses again. But God said to him, the man in the story, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There is another kind of riches. There is another kind of wealth that is worth striving for. And Jesus calls that being rich towards God. So by all means, be greedy, but make sure you're greedy for the right things. Now on its own, verse 20 doesn't really fully explain what it means to be rich towards God. But if you cast your eyes down to verse 33 at the end of the passage, I think that gives us a bit more help. As Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that will not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Being rich towards God means pursuing things that will last beyond death. It means using our money to help people. Notice that, to help people in a way that God sees and values. And in a way that, Jesus says here, stores up what he calls a treasure in the heavens. Does that mean there's some kind of a reward? Well, yes, I think it does. Think about a pension. It's a bit like a pension, if you can get your head around this if you're an undergrad. Um, people who work, they pay money into a, into a pension often, and that money is, to all intents and purposes in the present, it's locked away, it's gone. You've put it in there, and you can't have it back until you're 55 or whatever age you retire at. And in some ways, It's gone. But it isn't really gone, it's just stored up until you cross the line, and then you can have it all back. And at that point, you'll be glad that you stored it up for the future. That's a decent picture of what Jesus is talking about here. He's not against investment, he's not against ambition, he's just giving us a better investment strategy that as we use our money in a way that pursues God's kingdom, His objectives, relieving the suffering of others, paying for the good news of the gospel to go out into all the world, as we use our money in those sorts of ways, we aren't really, we aren't really um, losing it. We're not really, um, you know, throwing it away. Um, we're just investing it for the future time. Uh, C.T. Studd was born into a very wealthy family at the end of the 19th century. He was an upper-crust Englishman. He played cricket for England. The world lay at his feet. But in his 20s, young 20s, maybe his late teens, he became a Christian. And when his parents died, he inherited a great amount of money. It would have been a couple of million, perhaps, in modern terms. And he set about... um, handing out that money to the Salvation Army, and other Christian groups, and the cause of mission in China and in Africa. And eventually, he went himself to serve the people and to preach the gospel in China and then in Africa. If you ever get to read a book about C.T. Studd, it's well worthwhile. He was very eccentric, and he had a number of good phrases. And as he talked about money... And all that he had given away, he had a great phrase that has always stuck with me. He used to say, and his wife used to say, the bank of heaven always gives the best returns. The bank of heaven always gives the best returns. And so as he wrote another check for a few more thousand, it wasn't grudgingly, he wasn't thinking, oh no, I have to give it away. He did it with a smile on his face, with a sense of ambition, knowing that one day he would get it back. Because the bank of heaven always gives the best returns. There's a man who understood verse 33. I don't know if this is a shocking thing to hear. I think as we understand what Jesus means here, he's saying we need to recover that entrepreneurial streak in our Christianity. Being on the lookout for a good investment opportunity. Some of you will have seen the Oliver Stone film Wall Street. It's kind of meant to capture the spirit of the 80s Wall Street and the Big Bang and finance and all of that. And there's the famous scene where the character played by Michael Douglas, I think he's he, he, trying to buy a company and he makes this speech saying, Greed is good. Greed is good. It's what drives humanity onwards. Well, actually, there's an important insight there that matches with what Jesus is saying. It's not wrong to want lots of things. It's not wrong to want to be well provided for and to live in plenty. In some ways, there's nothing more natural than that. But in the light of the gospel, we just need to rethink what that really means and channel that hunger, that greed, that ambition into storing up treasure that will last, a treasure in the heavens. Now, how do we do that practically? I think that A reasonable pattern is is what we do as a church we all put in some money and the elders manage that and i think that what we do here is a reasonable pattern we use some of the money to pay for gospel work here in edinburgh the activities of the church we use some of the money to relieve those in our city who are most in need especially through the work of the city mission We use some of the money to further the work of the gospel all around the world with our mission partners who are all over the place. That's what we do as a church. I think that's a reasonable pattern. Once in a while, it's good for a Christian to sit down with a piece of paper and work out what's coming in, what's going out. What do I need to put aside for the short term, by which I mean 20, 30, 40 years? And what can I afford to invest for the long term in the bank of heaven? It's worth saying we do need to be shrewd investors. Not everything that has the label of a Christian cause is necessarily worth investing in. We need to think. We need to ask questions about what this person or that organization is going to do with the money. And then we need to pick the things that we think will do the most good. Now, of course, it's a bit scary letting go of money, of putting it away in a place we can't get to it anymore. It is scary, but Jesus is saying it's rational. It's better to invest in the bank of heaven, in something that will last, rather than having to leave it all behind. It's rational, and it's also wonderful. It's wonderful that our lives are more valuable than the sum of the things we have, that we can achieve more in life than accumulation. That we can reach the end of our lives and not look back and feel bad about all that we're having to leave behind. But instead we can look ahead to all the things that are in store for us with Jesus. That's the first thing that Jesus is saying here for followers. The right kind of greed. Seek the riches of God. And then secondly, in what remains of the passage, the right kind of worry. Seek the kingdom of God. Again, as we uh, read about the the emotion that he's describing, we know what Jesus means. In the verses, from verse 22, he talks about the stuff of everyday life, money, food to eat, things to wear. I guess as as a congregation, as a country, a situation, we're a lot more wealthy than the people that Jesus was originally talking to. And yet we still feel don 't we the the worry about those things, wondering how to make ends meet at the end of the month and, and worrying about having to organize everything like that and so again, very gently, Jesus begins to say a lot of that is actually the wrong kind of worry, and there are a number of arguments um, that he then makes to look at verse twenty two that 's where it begins. <clears throat> Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. He's saying there that the, the things we worry about actually often aren't the most important things. They're just little things in the grand scheme of things. Often... Also, verse 24, his next argument, our worrying is unnecessary. It forgets God's loving care. So he says there, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So often in our anxiety, we forget that life doesn't actually all depend on us. That we live in the world of a loving God who cares for his creation. We are worth more to him than the birds. He loves us. I wonder if you, it's a bit silly, but I wonder if you know the poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. It is easy, isn't it, in our worrying to forget God's loving care. Also, though, next argument, verse 25, our worrying is useless. It doesn't achieve anything. And which of you, asks Jesus, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you're not able to do a thing as small as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then he draws it all together Verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Now, of course, he's not saying, I mean, he's not saying stop thinking about Sainsbury's. Don't go to the shops and you'll get food by magic. He's not saying that, of course. Um, or he's not saying you, know, you, um, you shouldn't save any money or plan and still expect to have enough money to live on. He's not saying that. There are lots of passages in the Bible which are all about prudence and hard work and and planning, and commend that. What do you mean? Don't seek those things. Don't set your heart on them. Don't be consumed by having them and worrying all about them. That's the wrong kind of worry. But then again, if we follow on from verse 29, having gently warned us, that that's the wrong kind of worry. He says, there is a right kind. Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. There is something worth worrying about. The advance of the kingdom of God not in the way that we're all stressed and frazzled about that, because God's in charge of that, just like he's in charge of the other things in our lives. But if you're going to worry about anything, worry about that. Worry about the things that really matter, about people. Again, it's people hearing about Jesus and putting their trust in him. Think of a small group leader or somebody involved in the children's work. I know that Some of you are here and you're thinking through the week, worrying the people I care about, the people in that group, how can I best help them? That's a great kind of worry to have. Or as a church, as we think about the Roberies in Nigeria or Jen Wright in the Congo, as they translate the Bible for people, and we think, oh, I wonder how they're getting on. There's been another bad news story from the country. I, I must pray for them. I must email them. That is something worth worrying about. Or if, if you're at work, instead of worrying about, oh, I have to send that email, I have to finish this. You're worrying about the people around you, praying for them, knowing how much they need the Lord Jesus. These are the things worth worrying about. Now, as I say all this, there is a, a gentle rebuke in what Jesus says. Verse 28 We can trust God to clothe you, O you of little faith. The passage does address us like that. There is a gentle rebuke here. But look at how Jesus finishes. We have to get the tone right. Look at verse 32. Because overall, he's he's not having a go at us for the concerns that we face in life. Look at verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Some of you here, frankly, have plenty to worry about between work issues and health and family issues. Some of you have plenty to worry about and Jesus knows that. And he is saying to you very gently this morning, fear not, little flock. Again, it is a bit, Scary as Jesus works in our hearts in this way and encouraging us to let go of the illusion that we're in control, encouraging us to learn to look up and trust our Father and his provision instead. It's a bit scary, but it is also wonderful because that worry is not a burden we were ever built to bear. We are children in God's household. We are creatures in his world. This is what it means then to be a follower of Jesus. As He turns up with his paint bar, uh, paintbrush and his crowbar and he begins to work on our hearts, our emotions. He says, this is the right kind of greed. Seek the riches of God. This is the right kind of worry. Seek the kingdom of God. And I think it's helpful as we finish to put side by side those two ideas. O oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. And then his words in verse 32, fear not, little flock. I guess many of us, wouldn't we, we'd be glad to admit that often we are those of little faith. Uh, We are are more focused on this life and the things that feel like they're in our control. But Jesus is saying to us, learn to let go. Learn to look to the future. Learn to look up to God. And fear not little flock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the transformation that Jesus brings in the lives of those who follow him. And Lord, we pray that that work in each one of us would go forward more and more. Please help us to have our eyes fixed on eternal life with you. Help us to see life now in that perspective. And Lord, please help us always to look up, as it were, and see your fatherly love and care. Help us to bring our worries to you in prayer. And help us to seek first your kingdom. Lord, please make us urgent, entrepreneurial. Please give us a great vision for serving Jesus as we follow him. We pray in his name. Amen.